Welcome to the Next Level Youth Podcast. Here you will find sermons and content from Next Level Youth. We meet every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. at the Palace of Praise Church. We hope this content challenges and encourages you in your walk of faith. Let's grow in Christ together. We're going to be in a lot of uh, scripture. But if you, I saw a couple of people have a Bible. I encourage you, bring a Bible because um, normally, normally I stick around in one or two passages the whole time. Tonight, if you have a Bible, we'll get here in a minute. We'll be in Romans 6 and we'll be in Genesis 3. Romans 6, Genesis 3. But we're going to start with Mark. Mark 10, 17, and 18. This is what it says. Mark 10, 17, and 18. And he, meaning Jesus, was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is the key verse. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. No one is good except God alone. Now, if you want the full context of this verse, you go to Mark 10, just read Mark 10, 17 through 31. And the reason Jesus said this to him, because keep in mind, Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He was, in fact, God in the flesh. But what Jesus was saying to this rich man, just to put it in context for you, Jesus is saying, why do you call me good? He said this, he's saying, if you're going to call me good, are you saying that I am God? Because only God is good. Only God is good. So this guy calls him teacher. Jesus is saying, do you understand who I really am? Do you understand that I am God? Because if you call me good, there's only one who is good. Are you tracking with me? I hope that you are. Now, the statement at the end of this verse 18 that says this, no one is good except God alone. This statement could stand on itself in the truth by itself on itself and the truth is that one statement says a lot and we're going to get into that. The word that Jesus used here in the original language which was Greek was the word and I'm probably saying this wrong and I apologize I do my best agathos agathos a g a t h OS. And this word means intrinsically good. Intrinsically good. Now, what does intrinsic mean? Are you tracking with me? Intrinsic means belonging naturally, essential. So synonyms, synonyms for this word intrinsic. We're not going to stay here all night. Just, just hear me out. Intrinsic means belonging to naturally essential. Some synonyms for that are inherent, innate. It means existing as permanent, essential, a characteristic attribute. So what is this saying? No one is good except God alone. What does this mean? It means that God alone is the supreme example of goodness and the source of all good things. Did you hear what I said? God alone is the supreme example, the top, the epitome example of goodness and the source of all good things. 
And it's not just, it's, it's, it's who he is. Do you understand? It's not just something he does. It's not just what he does. It's who he is. And it won't change. It's who he's always been, and it's who he will always be. He has always been good, and he is the epitome of what good is. He is the person, he is the perfect example, the personification, the embodiment, the essence of goodness. That's who God is. Last year, for me, there were parts of last year that absolutely just sucked. And there was a song, and I kept playing it over and over again. And you, you, if you've been here, or if you were here, you might have heard it last year. It, was, it says, God, you are good, and you can't be anything else. And that song just carried me through because I was going through hell. It felt like it. And I just held on to this, that God is good. It's who he is. And that's not going to change. And it's not just this what, it's, it, understand, the good that God is isn't what the world calls good. The world calls good a lot of things that aren't good at all. When it says that God is good, that means that God is perfectly moral, perfectly right, perfectly holy, perfectly just. That's who he is. There's no impurity. There's no sin. There's no wrong. He in and of himself is good, and he always will be, and he's the supreme authority, the supreme example of goodness himself. It also says in verse 18 that no one else is good. No one else is good. Did you hear me? Hey, I want to let you know something. A spoiler, you without God are not good. Did you hear what I said? God alone is in and of himself good. If we believe this to be true, I hope that you do, and the truth of the matter is I believe it with all my heart. If this is true, if God is the supreme example of what is right and pure, then he is also the one who decides what isn't right and what isn't pure. He decides what is and is not sin. He does that. He is the measuring stick. He is the final authority. What is sin? This is the best definition I could find. Sin is transgression, or, or another word, short words, transgression means goes against God's will. Transgression, going against God's will, either by doing what he forbids, or failing to do what he requires. Sin is either doing what God forget, forbids or failing to do what he requires. God is the supreme authority on this. So you know what that means? It means that we as mankind don't get to define what is good and what is right. God does that for us. One of the arguments for the existence of God is that objective morals and, value, morals and values exist. They exist. And if they don't, then all is chaos and morals are subjective. And they're not. And if you want to talk more about that later, I would love to do that. No man on earth 
No woman on earth that exists or ever has existed gets to decide what is right and wrong and good and evil. Are you tracking with me? Are you with me? God decides for us. He defines it for us. And here's the truth of the matter. God doesn't leave us to define what is good and what is right and what is sin and what is not all to ourselves. He doesn't leave it to ourselves to do that. He does it for us. Gen, or excuse me, Galatians, getting ahead of myself. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. I want to read this to you. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Another way to put it that is not wrong at all. Now sin is evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. God made evil, he made wrong, he made unrighteousness and impurity evident for us. He made it plain. He makes it clear. He wants us to understand. He didn't keep these things from us. It's right here in this word. He tells us. He tells us what is holy and what is not. He tells us what is right and is wrong. He doesn't keep these things from us. He doesn't leave us to our own devices. He doesn't leave us to decide what's right and what's wrong on ourselves, by ourselves. Excuse me. Thanks be to God. And this list that you read in Galatians 5 is not all the sin that exists. It's not all that is wrong. That's why it says, and things like these. But if you look at his word, if you look at the Ten Commandments, if you look at some other passages in Scripture, it tells us. It tells us what's right. It tells us what's wrong. It tells us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Because what? Nah, I'm not going to go there. What does verse 21 of Galatians 5 always also tell us? It tells us this. Can you, yep, there, he's, he's ahead of the game. This is heavy, right? This is heavy. Don't take this lightly. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're saying, this is, this is getting rough. Are you getting legalistic on me? No, 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 just wait. Just wait. You could just leave that verse up there if you would. Sin has consequence. Sin has consequences. Sin comes with a penalty. It has a price. And this is our central verse for tonight. Romans 6.23. And if you've been in church a while, you've heard this a lot. It says this, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this verse, who, who's ever heard this verse before? Raise your hand. It's okay if you haven't. It's no big deal. This is one of like the first verses I remember having to memorize as a kid. Anybody else? This is a verse that, um, this is a verse that people quote because it's part of the Romans road. You ever heard of the Romans road? People tell you, memorize the Romans road, Romans 3.23, Romans 6, or Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23, Romans 10.9 and 10. If you can remember those things, you can lead someone to Jesus. You ever heard that before? That's partly true, I guess. Here's the thing about verses like this. If you've been in church a while, if you've heard them a lot, if you've memorized it, 
it can, and, and because it's so popular, it can kind of almost lose its meaning and its value to you. But popular verses are often popular for a reason. Because these 21 words right here, these 21 words right here have an awful lot to say. Look at them one more time before we move on. Just look at them one more time. These 21 words pack a punch. And part of why they pack a punch is because somehow through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul who wrote these verses, wrote these words, was able to summarize Romans 1 through 6 in one verse. And if you've ever read Romans, whoo, no easy feat. You, you, you want to you, you like freak out, go read Romans. I just talked to a student a couple weeks ago was telling me, I read Romans and it changed my life. But Romans is also just full of, it's just rich. I don't know what else to tell you. Romans 6.23 does this for us. So for the next two weeks, this is going to be a two-part thing. We said all that we've said so far to get to this moment. Okay? The next two weeks, we're going to be right here. We're going to focus tonight on the first seven words of Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death. Next week we first focus on the next 14 words but tonight we focus on these seven words and if you had to put a title on tonight it would be simply this the price of sin. The price of sin. The cost of sin. And remember we defined sin earlier either doing what God forbids or failing to do what he requires. And I'm just going to give you a spoiler alert. I, I, I want tonight, the goal of tonight is to dig into what this means. And the big idea is going to sound simple to you. Um, but I just hope tonight to enlighten or remind people of the truth. Not fact, but truth. There's a difference. That sin is not okay. There's nothing okay about sin in and of itself. Sin's not acceptable. It's not right. It's not holy. Now, tonight is going to sound, I told you, it's going to be rough. But I just want to remind you that next week um, is the next 14 verses. And while next week will be heavy, it will be a little more hope-filled than this is, even though that hope is in the center of this. Now you might say, why, why do we need to just hear and why do we need to understand? Why is it so important that we understand that sin isn't okay? Shouldn't we just focus on Jesus and what he did for us? This is important to know for a myriad of reasons, but one of the biggest reasons, I'll just give it to you right now, is that you don't know you need a Savior if you don't understand that there's something that you need to be saved from. If you don't know you're the problem, because you are, and if you don't know that you're not the solution because you're not, then how would you know that you need a Savior? I can't tell you how many people I've met that don't even realize that they need a Savior. They don't even realize they're a sinner headed for hell. They just don't realize it. They think they're good. They think they're moral. They think they got their life together. 
Hopefully tonight enlightens or reminds you that you are in fact in dire need. And you are in dire need. Meaning if you don't know Jesus, you are literally dying. The truth is you're already dead. And you're, you're headed to hell. That's just the truth. And I'll get into that in a little bit. And you say, that's not, doesn't sound very loving. Why talk about hell? I want to let you know that Jesus talked a lot more about hell than he did about heaven. Anyway. So, to understand this, we go to the beginning. The very beginning. Genesis 1 through 3. We're going to look at the moment that sin enters the world. The moment that sin comes in and affects all who inhabit the earth and anything and everything in it. You know what's really cool? It's not cool, but it is. Our earth hasn't always been messed up. Now, it only took uh, three chapters to get there, but it started off really swell. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you disagree with that, I'd love to talk to you sometime. For real, I mean that. And as we read on in Genesis 1, we see that God didn't just create the heavens and the earth. He didn't stop there, but he made everything that occupies the heavens and the earth and the skies above. And then he created mankind. Then he created us. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 8.31 says this, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Notice, the standard of goodness calls the earth good. Should have got that one. The standard of goodness, the one who decides what is good and what is not, he makes the earth and everything that inhabits it, he makes man and he calls it very good. And things are great. No pain, no struggle, no division, no death. It's going really good. Until... We mess it up. And you might say, I wasn't there. I didn't mess anything up. Oh, yeah, yeah, you did. Romans 5 will tell you that. Just go read it. I don't have time to read it for you right now. And in this moment, in chapter 3, everything changes. I want to read this moment to you, or at least I want to read God's response to Adam and Eve sinning and doing the one thing God asked them not to do. This is what happens. Here we go. Verse 16 through 24. To the woman, he said, listen up, woman. Just kidding. I was surely, this is bad for the dudes too. It's coming. Just hold on. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And in pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
In pain you shall eat of it for all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. All living, excuse me. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man... And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The weight of this moment, the effect of this moment, we could spend, and I know people say this crap all the time, I understand, but we could spend centuries trying to describe the weight of what just happened. Where we go from no shame, no pain, no struggle, no sin, no death, no anxiety, no depression, no disease, no strife, no worry. And in a moment, it all changes. Sin enters the world and it infects and affects everything. That's what sin does. Adam and Eve, their bodies didn't hurt. Do you understand that? Do you understand that they didn't have to struggle for anything? Did you understand that they were productive but the work wasn't hard? Do you understand that? It was good. And the good news of the gospel, spoiler alert, is that the gospel isn't complete until God restores the earth back to its original purpose and intention. And that's what happens in the end. If you didn't know that, you need to read the book some more. Everything that you look around and see that is evil and wrong, the disease and the sickness the pain, the suffering, the strife, the division, the racism, the storms, the earthquakes, the hurricanes, murder, hunger and thirst, anger, jealousy, rage, deception. All death entered the world as a result of sin. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Before sin... There was no separation between God and man. Genesis chapter 2 leads us to believe that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day, that there was no separation, that Adam and Eve had great relationship with God the Father. But when we chose sin, God can no longer be like this with us because He is good. And sin is not. So in that moment, here comes hostility. Here comes judgment. 
Here comes wrath. In that moment, here comes separation. Jesus came to fix that, and we'll get there later. God, being perfectly good and holy, could not have fellowship with unrighteousness. In summary, all that is wrong with the world is a direct result of sin. Period. Did you hear what I said? Everything wrong with the world is a result of this moment and the moments of us continually choosing sin. Who in their right mind would read this and come to the conclusion that sin is not a big deal? Who would come to the conclusion that sin is something to just be brushed over? It's not, it's no big thing. It's no worry. It's, it's really going to be okay. Who? Where? What? Where does this ideology come from? Sin is not okay. And it is a big deal. More examples from the Bible. Some, I've had people like, Say, hey, I, w- I wish you told more stories. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. My favorite stories come from the Bible. They just do. I'm just telling you. My favorite thing to tell you about is a verse, not my opinion. That's my favorite thing to tell you. If you want my opinion, talk to me later. I'll tell you my opinion. I ain't scared. But I don't want to tell you. I-, I-, I try not to tell you that right now. That's my goal. Go to the Old Testament. Don't, you don't have to go much further. A few examples, Old Testament, and then we'll go to New Testament. Read on. Genesis 6 through 9, the earth is horrible. God comes to Noah, says, build a boat. I'm going to flood the earth. We're starting over. We're wiping it clean. What comes? Rain. What else comes? Massive destruction and death and impurity is washed away. didn't take long. Oh, but sin's no big deal. Read on. Double check my chapter. I think it's Genesis 19. Yes, it is. Read on. Sodom and Gomorrah. Horrible cities. Read about it. What does God tell Lot? He's a righteous man. He's living in the city. He says, you need to get the heck out of there, Lot, because I'm about to destroy that place with fire. Lot gets out. His wife turns, turns a pillar of salt. Go read that for yourself. She looks back. Anyway. But what happens? Fire and sulfur rain from heaven and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Does God love? Yes. Is He merciful? Yes. If I was God's PR person, would I put this in the Bible? No, but it's there and God doesn't need a lawyer. That's not my job. Number 16. The Israelites rise up. What happens? Their leader in the, in the wilderness and they're sinning. And what happens? God says, hey, you homies go over there. Stand there. And what happens? The Bible says, go read it for yourself, that the earth opens up, that this tribe is swallowed down into Sheol. That means hell. And then the earth closes up around them. But sin's no big deal, Right? You say, oh no, that's, that's Old Testament. That's Old Covenant. God's merciful now when Jesus came, right? Acts chapter 5. 
a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Some great names. They lie. They lie about what they sold the property for. They lie about offering. And what happens? The man comes in. He lies about it. God strikes the man dead. The Bible says a couple hours later, the wife Sapphira comes in. She lies too. God strikes her dead. You say, oh, that's just one example. Okay, go to Acts chapter 12. Herod sins against God. And when he does, God gets mad. And the Bible says that Herod was devoured by worms. Go read it. But sin's not a big deal, is it? Now, what do all five of those examples have in common? A lot, but the thing I want to get point out is this. God is the one who brought the judgment himself. He didn't tell somebody to do it. Somebody didn't get mad about it and slaughter. God's the one who did it. God's the one who sent the rain. God's the one who sent the sulfur and the fire. God's the one who split open the earth. God's the one who struck Ananias and Sapphira dead. God's the one who brought out the worms to kill Herod. It was God. I told you it's going to be heavy. I told you sin isn't okay. Sin is no small thing. Sin is a big deal. God didn't wait for these people to die before they experienced consequence for their sin, did he? And we read that all through the scripture. Sin not dealt with by Jesus leads to eternal death. Okay? It just does. And that means hell forever. But I want to talk about this for a moment. Even if you're forgiven of your sins, even if you know Jesus and you go to him and you, you mess up, you sin, and you repent, even if that happens, it doesn't necessarily mean that you won't have to deal with the consequences of your sins here on earth. Did you hear what I said? God's loving. He's forgiving. He didn't leave us to our own devices. Thanks be to God. Sin is most definitely not okay, but he didn't leave us to deal with it on our own. That's where we're headed. If you're scared, that's where we're going. Don't be afraid. But that doesn't mean we don't have to deal with the consequences of sin on earth, even if we're a child of God. Let me let you know something. If you get caught stealing, if you get caught, God will forgive you, but you might have to serve some time. You might have to pay a fine. You might have to call Phil Childress. You might. If you murder someone, God will forgive you. He will. He's that good. He's that good. But it doesn't mean you might not spend the rest of your life in jail or prison. If you have a problem with lying, God will forgive you. But don't be surprised if you have to deal with people trusting you for years and years and years. And you feel like you don't really have friends. Don't be surprised. If you have a porn problem, God will forgive you. But that doesn't mean you might not experience problems when you're trying to be intimate with your husband or wife in the future. He'll forgive you of it. It doesn't mean you might not have to deal with the consequences of it. If 
you've had sex before you were married. I want to let you know something about sex. If you have sex, if it's a man and a woman and they have sex inside marriage, I want to let you know something. STDs don't happen. Isn't that cool? It really is. It's great. But if you have sex outside of that, which God tells us not to, to protect us, because it's for our good, and you, God will forgive you. But it doesn't mean that you might not get an STD and not get healed. It doesn't mean that. Am I trying to scare you? No, I'm trying to enlighten you the fact that sin has consequence. If you have a spending problem, God will forgive you, but he might not pay off all your debt. Dave Ramsey will do that for you. You see, you go to the Bible, you see Moses, right? And I, I know we've said a lot of Bible stories that haven't given a lot of great context, and I apologize. God promised Moses and the Israelites a land. It was awesome. Had grapes the size of um, my biceps, but, but bigger. Anyway, I couldn't think of anything. Good grief. Um, that was sorry. That was stupid. But uh, they were bigger than that somehow. Um, Moses disobeys God, and God says, hey, as a result of your sin, you can't inherit the promised land. He could only see it. He couldn't go. He couldn't go. Now, but here's the thing about sin. It doesn't just have consequences for us, but it also has consequences for others. I'm going to talk about that very briefly. <sighs> if you one day cheat on your spouse and you get a divorce, God will forgive you. But it doesn't mean it's not going to affect your kids and it's not going to affect your kids' kids. Some of y'all already know what I'm talking about because you've been there. And you know, sin has consequence, doesn't it? And it doesn't always just affect us, but it affects those around us. If you have a substance problem or if you've had it in the past, God will forgive you. But that doesn't mean that it might not affect the relationship that you have with your family because you're, you're always out of it or blah, 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 or you spend too much money or whatever it is. It doesn't mean it has no consequence and it doesn't affect others. And if you look at the life of David, it's really sad, truthfully. 2 Samuel 11, he murders a man named Uriah, sleeps with his wife. And what happens in the following chapters? Consequences. God takes David's son. He, he killed him. Sin. And then, and it's sad. In chapter 12, a prophet comes and says, Hey, David, the rest of your life, a sword is going to be in your family. And his family had strife and struggle. And there were stories of rape and murder and... His son sleeping with his wives and just, just go read it. Once again, if I was deciding what was in the Bible, I don't know that I would put that in there. But it happened and it's there and God doesn't need a lawyer. I'm wrapping this up. The consequence of sin for unbelievers is, is eternal death. Thanks be to God that I deserve wrath. No, Because God is just, no man, no woman, no one gets away with no evil deed. Either Jesus Christ took all the evil that you would ever do and ever did, and he died for it on the cross, and that wrath of that, that judgment of that was poured out on him, or 
Every evil deed that's committed, if you don't know Christ, is stored up for you until you die and you receive that full wrath in hell forever. I'm thankful that because of Christ, I am not good. I was not good. I was infected, affected by sin. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Jesus paid the price of my salvation for me. But for all who don't know Jesus, for all who don't choose him, hell's what awaits. First John, I'm wrapping it up, I promise. Before I say that, sin... We just scratched the surface of how evil, nasty, vile, horrible, horrendous, I don't have the words. We just scratched the surface of how bad it is. But I want to let you know, the power of the burial, burial, death, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is far more powerful. 1 John 2, 1 through 6. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the full payment, the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours, but the sins of the whole world. Isn't that awesome? And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word... In him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which we walk. The good news, we have an advocate. We have Jesus Christ, the perfectly righteous one, who paid the price of our sin and the sin of, our whole, of the whole world. Because we couldn't earn it. We couldn't pay that price. If it was up to us, we would just have death and destruction and eternal damnation in hell. But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ paid the way for us. Now, don't be confused. We're not saved by our works. I hope you understand that tonight. I hope that this message has not been, i got to be perfect and I've got to be good. I hope that's the gift of God. It's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. What is Romans six twenty three? It's the free gift of God. Not a result of works. You can't earn this, bro. That no one may boast, for we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What do we see in Romans 6.23, 1 John chapter 2, Ephesians 2? We see grace, we see love, we see Jesus pay the full payment for our sin. But what else do we see? We see that if we know Christ, if we know Christ, we follow his commandments. That he prepared good works for us. Faith without works is dead though. James 2 tells us that. You say you have faith, but if you just keep doing what you've always done, your faith is dead. Your faith is dead. Could you put Romans 6.23 back up there? I'm about to wrap it up. If you don't know Jesus, Jesus paid the wages you owed on the cross. The second part of Romans 6.23 is true for you. If you know Jesus, 
If you sin, God will forgive you. And you do not stand condemned. But it makes sin no small thing. It doesn't mean that sin won't have consequences. And this grace, this love, this mercy, this free gift isn't a lie. Could you put Romans 6, 1 through 2 up there? Y'all with me? Okay. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Are we to continue in sin because God, Jesus Christ, paid the price? Because he will forgive us? Because there's grace for us? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You're supposed to have left that behind. If you're in Christ, you're dead to sin. You're alive in Christ. Romans 6.15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. God is the one who defines what is good. If he says it's not good, then it's not. There's no part of sin that is okay. And if Christ came to forgive us of sin and free us from the power of sin. Understand, Romans tells us, the Bible tells us, that if we're in Christ, if he's forgiven us, we're also free from the power of sin. That means sin doesn't have a hold on us anymore. Why would we want to return to the very thing that God saved us from? Why would we want to keep on sinning that grace may abound? That's not how it works. When we do that, we belittle the work of the cross and the truth of the matter is, the Bible tells us, if that's our attitude, if we just think, hey, I'm going to sin, I'm going to get away with it, I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to get forgiven. If that's our attitude, it says, hey, you, you really don't know me at all, do you? Romans tells us, First John 2 tells us, James 2 tells us, other passages tell us the same. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you for tuning in. God bless.